Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Ninth State Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Marcellina. I'm joined once again by Mike Lockman. Mike, how are you doing? You, you over the jet lag? <laughs> We're still getting there. It was it was an early morning on Monday, but uh, yeah, I I apologize to you and to uh, and to everybody for messing up our timetable. I had some business travel I had to tend to. We we flew out to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, early early monday morning and just got back in tonight so uh so if i'm if i'm messing things up and mispronouncing <laughs> names and talking about teams that uh one that actually lost and stuff you know i beg forgiveness we'll, we'll from let you it, and the listeners yeah, we'll, we'll let it slide we'll let it slide this time <laughs> thanks and by the way that's it's par for the course anyway right so <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't gonna say that come on no no right right yeah. Uh, you know, and as always, you can send us questions and feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at nhhsports. You can listen to the show, uh, well, this week, Wednesday morning, but usually Tuesday mornings uh, throughout the football season at nh-highschoolsports.com. And before we get started, let's take a moment to tell you about our sponsor. The presenting sponsor for the Ninth State Sports Show is Roger Howe of The Bean Group. Are you thinking of selling your home? Now may be the time. And while the weather is starting to cool off, the market is hot and interest rates remain at all-time lows. It's time to call Roger Howe, a licensed professional realtor with The Bean Group. Not sure what your home is worth? Roger will provide a market analysis for you at no charge. With 12 years of experience in residential, commercial, leasing, and investment properties, Roger knows your local market. Contact Roger Howe of The Bean Group at 800-450-7784 or 603-247-1784. 1583 or email him at roger at rhowrealestate.com. You know, if you'd like to join Roger as a sponsor of the United States Sports Show, uh, you can do so by sending an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com. All right. Well, uh, this was quite a. I, I, maybe interesting isn't quite the right word for what this week of football was. Um, you know, a lot of rivalry games. Um, but some of them, you know, turned out to be a little uh, more one-sided than usual. Um, you know what? Before we get into that, though, uh, we got to pick our players and teams of the week. Um, yeah, we do. And, yes. and again, not uh, as it has been for the most part, not an easy task. Absolutely not, because there's every week there are a lot of great performances, and uh, I, you know, I I think that we uh, we we made a good decision uh, when we said at the beginning of the year we weren't we were going to pick somebody and that was going to be uh regardless what they did in the future that was going to be um their their one time to shine for for at least player or team of the week uh, because there is a lot to choose from every single week and uh i i would hate it if we were picking the same kids you know every other week so uh yeah yeah it does uh, help us narrow down right i think a couple of times, though, the team of the week thing has caught us where I've been like, oh, we should, <laughs> hey, we should go with this. You're like, yeah, Mike, we right, did that right, like two yeah. weeks ago. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. All right. Well, I will uh, I will throw out my player of the week uh, first, if that's all right. Sure. Uh, so I want to go with a young man by the name of Austin Ingersoll, uh, running back from Salem, who set the school record uh, Russia in rushing yards in their 28-26 win over Manchester West. Ran for 285 yards and two touchdowns uh, to help the Indians get their first win of the season. 
so, you know, just an incredible performance, almost 300 yards. Anytime you can put your name in your school's um, uh, record book, that's a, a huge accomplishment. And, um, you know, so congrats to Austin and, and uh, Sanborn on picking up that first win of the season. You know, they were a, a team that we kind of, you know, thought was, um, you know, going to be a bit improved this year. I know they've struggled with some injuries, uh, but getting that first win has got to be huge for them, and, and hopefully it kind of jumpstarts them and, and gets them rolling a little bit this year. Yeah, and I, th I think, too, we did have some hopes for Sandbar, but I, I think they lost a lot to graduation. Yeah. And so, you know, having been through that myself as a coach at times, you know, sometimes that's not an easy thing to recover from quickly. Uh, but, you know, you get a rushing performance like that out of one of your uh, one of your key running backs, and, you know, that builds a lot of confidence for a team. Hey, you know, we can run the ball. You know that we have somebody that has the endurance and the legs to get that done. You know, you get that first win. You combine those two things. That's a nice little thing to build upon going into the second half of the season. It's a tough start for them, too, where they had opened with Bo, Guilford, Belmont, and St. Thomas uh, in the first three weeks. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah not absolutely. An easy, right? not an easy line up there. And then, you know, the way things are shaping out, they, uh, I would say, even with the one and three records, still have a shot at uh, getting themselves into the playoffs if they take care of business. Uh, but get a little ahead of ourselves there. We're going we're gonna to talk uh, uh, maybe a little bit of playoffs later on. So who uh, we love getting ahead of ourselves yeah, in playoffs. That's what we do. That's of course, <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're we're about halfway through the season, so yeah, why not? All right, Mike. Who was your uh, who's your player of the week this week? Well, so I was I gave serious consideration. Don't I always cheat? I always do this, right? <laughs> yeah. I gave serious like consideration yeah. to yeah <laughs> to to Edward uh, DiGiulio. I think is how you pronounce his name uh, for having a, a a big career day uh, against. Um, Keen, he's a running back for for Timberlane, but what I what I finally settled on, and it, I guess it's again kind of sticking with my my take sometimes that it's it's less about the stats and more about what you did to help your team win. Uh, I'm going to go with Josh Sweeney from Wyndham. Yeah, um, that was by all accounts uh, a really really great game. You know, we were talking last week about how it's sort of quote a rivalry game, even though there isn't a ton of history between. Salem and Wyndham there is some there is some past I guess you know they, they used to be part of the same school before right. Wyndham became its own thing and I, I know that they used to scrimmage in the offseason occasionally when they were in different divisions but you know now they're sort of building that as a really good local rivalry um, and and by all accounts this game uh, measured up to that standard right it was uh, it was really Sweeney's performance at the end of the game I think he I think he tossed two consecutive passes um, the the final one, which was the go ahead touchdown, with I think just under 35 seconds, uh, you know, to, it was knotted at at 14 all uh, to basically put Wyndham ahead for for good at 20 to 14. So, um, you know, he also contributed with a a 15 yard touchdown run on the day. But I think, you know, playing under pressure in a big rivalry game, uh, the the article that I read said there were estimated 6,000 people wow. at that at, game, which I, Wyndham. Where, yeah, where I, I, I don't know what the, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I mean, 6,000 people at a high school game. I've been to high school games where the estimated crowd was around 4,000 and that was banged out. Yeah, so I, I can't imagine. Yeah. Same. I, where, I mean, especially in that, I mean, it's not exactly, you know, uh, 
the big it's house, not Bill right? Ball Stadium. right? Yeah, right. You yeah, know, I, I mean, I would say like definitely some of the the you know Mac Plat games. Yeah, I would believe five six thousand, but wow, that's um, the whole hill must have been covered with people. Yeah, I and again, I don't know whether that's a, an accurate estimate or not. It well, was just yeah, sort I of never, what was I quoted. never, yeah. How do they ever come up with those numbers? Like, a certain yeah. counting groups of people as they come in the in through the gate. Um, yeah, you know, and and I'm pretty sure at Wyndham they don't, you know, they don't charge you to get in, as far as I remember. So it's not like they're well, well, yeah. Well, and my take on it is even if it was just three thousand people, even if it was it's half still, of yeah, that, right, to yeah. have a quarterback perform under that level of pressure. In the closing seconds of the game, big deal, big win for Wyndham. Josh Sweeney's my guy. All right. Sounds good. All right, so for team of the week, uh, speaking of the Mac Plaque game, I decided to go with the Londonderry Lancers this week. Uh, you know, coming off that, uh, that big win over Pinkerton, of which the score, I will tell you in a second, was 31-6. to um, You know, and it's it, it sounded like, you know, Pinkerton kicked off to start the game. You know, they, they won the coin toss. Deferred, decided to kick to Londonderry, which, uh, from what I understand, a lot of teams don't usually do. Um, and uh, Londonderry returns opening kickoff for a touchdown. They get a field goal later in the game. It's 10 nothing. Looks like Pinkerton's got a chance to get back in it. They score. And, um, you know, and then it's just all Londonderry the rest of the way. They held Pinkerton to 86 yards rushing which is um, just a, a, an incredible number when you think about some of the talented backs that Pinkerton has, you know, and Jake Albert and, and Cole Yanako, um, and, and just being able, yeah, being able to hold a team with those kind of backs to that, that number. Um, and, you know, I think it's their sixth win in a row against Pinkerton, which, you know, you think about just a few years ago, we're talking about, oh, is Londonderry ever going to beat Pinkerton? You know, it's, it's been 21 in a row for Pinkerton or something like that. Um, so quite, you know, quite a turn that this series has taken and, and just, a an outstanding performance by the Lancers. Yeah, I watched, uh, I watched that game and my take on that was that as talented, a group of offensive skill position people that Pinkerton clearly have, uh, the the Londonderry defensive front, so their defensive linemen, linebackers were really up to the challenge, and Pinkerton's offensive line really struggled to to clear room for those for those kids. And then Londonderry's you know sort of perimeter players and DBs have the speed to track that down and kill it, right? So so Pinkerton tried I think a, a lot of different little creative ways to get outside. Um, it, that, that worked a little bit, but not for long. I think once the Londonderry kids got used to the speed, um, you know, they could get their angles and they could get they could get those guys down. Um, anything up between the tackles was really tough sledding, um, and and it wasn't for lack of trying. You know, I think Pinkerton, you know, used a lot of their different blocking schemes, trying to get angles on kids. You know, blocking them down and trying to kick out an edge player and get up inside there. And it just, just nothing was, nothing was working. They had that one drive that was, I think it was probably a, a 50 or 60 yard drive, which was their scoring drive. And really that was keyed on one deep pass that I, I think went to Albert, if I remember that correctly. Um, but they had, you know, that, that was kind of all they had going all night. And Londonderry was very, very efficient on offense. And, and really it was also a special teams 
battle right 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 from the get-go the the opening kickoff return for a touchdown but there were a number of other special teams advantages you know field position and things like that that I thought played into Londonderry's hands very well so yeah I mean hey it's like you said Pinkerton dominated and and still overall dominates that that series but Londonderry has really dominated in the last whatever it has been five six seven years yeah I mean some of those games I think have been big wins for Londonderry I mean some have been closer but you know like this one and uh, I believe the playoff game they had in 2019 I want to say was uh, was definitely uh, you know a a big Londonderry win and uh, how about how about your team of the week so I uh, I am taking Trinity High School as my team of the week you know they had um, a really big test this week, I thought, or, or uh, you know, uh, the first of, of a couple big tests that are that are on their schedule with a very good Monadnock team. They won convincingly, uh, twenty-eight to nothing. So that puts Trinity at four and zero, and it's their third shutout in a row that they've pitched. Wow, that's crazy. And that sets them up pretty nicely going into what I'm guessing is going to be a game of the week type matchup with Campbell. Yeah, four and O Campbell, four and O Trinity, uh, at Trinity Friday night. That's um, potentially game of the year there in Division Three. Uh, and then Campbell gets Monadnock the following Saturday. A nice, uh, yeah. a nice eleven a.m. start on Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> over in Litchfield. Yeah, Campbell still has Campbell's got a, a tough road ahead of them. They've got that Trinity Monadnock bang bang right here in the middle of the season, and then they've got to clean up. Uh, and end the season with Fall Mountain, who, yeah. as we've pointed out, has been having a, a pretty good little run of their own uh, as a potential three or four seed in that division. So, so yeah, some pretty cool stuff going on there in D three. But uh, you know, I think I think Trinity's made a pretty good statement, and and you know, has raised some questions about whether they might be the best team in that division right now or not. Yeah, it was. Uh, looks like it was Jack Service had a big game for them. Um, you know, against Monadnock, a couple touchdown passes, a touchdown run. Um, yeah, I know. I, I was following that one on on Twitter uh, Saturday night, and um, yeah, just kind of was like, wow. I, I, you know, I saw some updates, and then I saw the final score, and just kind of did, you know, my my eyes kind of popped open on that one. Whoa, twenty eight nothing. Yeah, and you know, it's not to be lost on anybody either. I think we, you got to remember that it was just what four seasons ago that Trinity didn't field a varsity team. Yeah, four, four or five, somewhere in there. Yeah, I, I, you know, it was, it was a numbers issue. I think it might have even been in Coach Cathcart's just second year in. I think so. Um, and then they went on to win the championship uh, again. You, you're the, you've got the history better than I do. But they won a championship a few years ago at UNH. Yep, 2019. Yeah, and 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 you know they've. They've continued to be able to rebuild after graduating some really, really talented players. So that's the sign of a of a program that very quickly regained its healthy status. You know that obviously Coach Cathcart and his staff have been working really hard there to make sure they have a good pipeline of players coming in. And uh, you know, I, I just I just thought that was I, I just thought that was a good story. And this was a pretty big win for them headed into what is a massive week next week. So yeah. I wanted to recognize the pioneers. All right. Well, we uh, we talked a little bit uh, about Mac Plaque. We talked a little bit of Wyndham Salem uh, to start off the D one rivalry games. Um, you know, the game I was at BG Merrimack uh, was uh, 
you know, it, it just had a strange atmosphere to it from almost from the beginning. You know, I, you, you know how it is at Merrimack. You park out front of the school and then you have to walk around the back to the, get to the back. And I oh, swear, yes, I've I swear, made that. <laughs> as a player and a coach made that walk many I, times. <laughs> you know, I, I swear I, I got out of my car and it was a nice fall night. Um, you know, I'm like, do I need a hat that is heavier than just my regular hat? No, I think I'm good. Got my jacket, thankfully. Uh, wore pants for the first time uh, not, since, like, May. Was not happy about that. Um, you know, and I walk around back, and by the time I get back to the, the field, the wind had picked up, like, 20 miles an hour. And it was, it was blowing, like, straight across uh, from the home sideline to the visitor's sideline. You know, the flag that's in the one end zone or behind the one end zone was, like, almost standing straight out continuously. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm over there and I'm watching, I'm watching BG warm up and they're just kind of looking at coaches are kind of looking around like the heck is going on? Where did this wind come from? Why does it feel like it's November? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I think, uh, you know, Shoshiani was starting to cross off all the deep passing plays on his <laughs> right. play calling well, sheet. <laughs> well, it, 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 I think it affected that opening kickoff. I don't know if you've had a chance to go back and, and, and watch that. Um, I, I know I saw a couple highlights of it. But if you watch the kick, you know the the um, you know the the guy that returned it for Bishop Girton, um, Ronan Roll, excuse me, Ronan Balistrieri, uh, he has to run up probably a good fifteen yards to get it, because uh, it just kind of hangs up there. I don't think it got knocked down. I think it, like I said, the wind was blowing side to side, so it kind of went from one maybe side of the field to the other. He runs up, grabs it, finds a lane, and just goes down the sideline. For a for an eighty yard touchdown return, uh, yeah, and then Merrimack not how up. you want to start no, your night, absolutely. especially uh, especially if you're Merrimack and you had designs on a you know on a on an, an upset at home, taking advantage of some of that history that you were pointing out in, in the article yeah. you put up on your site. Yeah, that's another crazy one to think about too. You were talking about the the swing in that Pinkerton Londonderry series. I I remember back in in 2014 being at that game at Stello Stadium that that Merrimack beat BG. And, uh, you know, and celebrated like they'd won the Super Bowl. Um, because, I mean, that had been their first win over BG since, I think, 2000. You know, yeah. so BG had won like 13 in a row against them. Uh, and now here... Yeah, I, actually, I actually coached in that last game that we <laughs> that we beat them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was the offensive coordinator that year. <laughs> well, you see, there, there you go. You left and then, uh, and then things went downhill. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you don't know that those things were related to each other. It did, it did you know, you, you, it did happen though, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and then that that's it's been really back and forth. Um, when they've played, I mean, they haven't played every year since then, but yeah, it's been since 2012 since they'd won at Merrimack. Um, you know, and then Merrimack gets the ball and they fumble on their first play. BG recovers, two plays later scores and I looked up the, I mean it was there was 10:40 left in the first quarter and and BG's up 14 nothing um and it it really didn't get much better for Merrimack from there yeah yeah you know I and Merrimack which I I think you know I've seen them a little bit I've seen them at practice and I, I've seen them um in in limited uh form and you know in terms of film and things like that I haven't seen them live yet this year but you know for a talented team Merrimack's Achilles heel, I think, has been the turnover this year, um, especially in the first half of games, uh, win or lose, right? I, th- I think that's made, it's put them in some rough positions. And it, it's tough, especially tough that it had to be 
Melo Hyde this time around because I think he's probably one of the more underrated players in Division One. He's he's a pretty talented player on both sides he of the is, ball. Yes, and very talented. I know that he's a guy that works worked really hard for the Tomahawks in the off season to you know get stronger, get faster, develop as a leader. Uh, I know that's got to hurt. Hopefully, you know. Uh, a guy like that is as strong mentally as he is physically, and he can put that behind him. Um, but that has that has plagued Merrimack. Just that 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 turnover bug has been a tough one. And that's a tough way to open a game, especially like I said, when you're coming in thinking upset. And I think you have a legitimate reason for thinking that. But then all of a sudden, you 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 surrender 14 points that quickly. Uh, you know, any of that bravado that you might have had kind of quickly evaporates. Yeah, and it wasn't even a lot. I mean, Merrimack turned the ball over twice in that first half. It just was when they turned it over was what I think really was the killer. You know, they they turned it over, like I said, on the you know their their first play of the game, and their second fumble. Um, you know, they had just picked up their first first down of the game, and then on the next play right. they lost the fumble. Um, you know, so yeah, both of those are, are just you know tough spots to to get those in. Um, but I mean, it was, you know, uh, Coach Trishiani said afterwards that that, um, you know, since he's been the head coach at BG, he thinks that might have been the best half of football they've played. Um, and I mean, it's hard to hard to argue with them. I mean, they were up thirty-five nothing at halftime uh, of that game. Yeah, and, and you could say, you know, I could sit here and talk about the unfortunate nature of the way the game started for Merrimack. But then the flip side of that is. You know, if you're if you're BG, you know, if you if you have if you have thoughts about a championship run, which I, I think they do, and I think they have every right to feel that way, you've got to be able to take advantage of those type of things, and that's precisely what they proved that they could do. You know, I mean, you, you get a uh, like you said, sort of a, a a weird kick that you get a good run up on, can feel that thing, you know, coming straight ahead with a full steam, and then take that back 80 yards, and then you know collect a fumble on the first defensive snap that you have and then turn that into another seven points, boom, boom. That's taking advantage of what the other team is, is giving you, right? You're not squandering those opportunities. You've created momentum for yourself. You've obviously created points for yourself. Big deal. Very big deal yeah. in terms of the maturity of a, of a team. And then I think the other thing, Joe, and I don't know whether you were going to get into this one on BG or not, but you know, kind of a big deal that Charlie Bellavance wasn't in. Yeah, uh, didn't yeah. I, I'm not sure if that was just a, a precautionary thing. I mean, he he play he didn't play much the week before against Goffstown, uh, but then again, that game got out of hand kind of quick. So I think they might have just been playing it safe. I'm not entirely sure what what his um, what his status is for for this week against Winnicott. Um Yeah, but but um, definitely if if they if that's a longer term thing, definitely a big loss uh, on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, but they were able to get a couple other guys out, uh, out on the field. Um, you know, it was, uh, Ethan Chimalecki got the start for him at running back. Uh, and he's actually the one that scored that, that first rushing touchdown had a 31 yard run, um, that made it 14, nothing had a couple of nice other runs, um, you know, later on in the game, which was nice to see, you know, he was the guy I think that got kind of got when Bellavance got hurt late last season. Um, he was the guy that kind of got the first shot at filling that spot and he you know he was a a sophomore last year who had worked his way onto the varsity um you know 
had, a, a, I think, a tougher time in that spot just because he was a younger, smaller guy. Uh, clearly, he's put in some work, um, you know, throughout the last year, try to get a little bit bigger, a little bit tougher, and, and it looks like it paid off um, for him, in the, at least in that game. Um, so yeah. that's nice to see. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what I meant when I said it was a big deal. I mean, obviously it's a big deal to not have Bellavance, and, and you hope that he's he's back quickly. But I think I think what I really mean when I say that is that you get these contributions from, like, Shemalecki, uh, Chase Amaral had to chip in. You had uh, Cody Stamansky, uh, you know, catching a, uh, a big throw from yeah. Stanis also yeah. at one point. So, you know, it kind of it, it kind of set BG up in a situation where they had to spread it out a little bit more, try a couple of different guys, get guys some experience, um, and not just rely on on that that mesh between um, Bellavance and uh, Sanisuoso. And I think that, again, in a weird way, even though you're, you're missing one of your star players for a key game, it, it almost helps BG down the stretch because it, it helps develop depth and confidence and you know, a little bit more diversity in what they do. So um, I, I think that was that actually ended up, you know, obviously if they had lost the game to Merrimack, we wouldn't be saying this. But, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, given that they won convincingly, I think the fact that they uh, they had to do what they did to win puts them in a, in a much more dangerous posture offensively, especially, right? Yeah, and, and they might be the only team I have seen do this, but they even gave a couple of handoffs to, uh, to Connor Gabord, who's um, – Listed as their tight end, uh, and he's you know six two two oh three. Not not the I mean you know Bellavance is a little bit bigger than that. He's not the hugest guy, but he's still a big guy. And they're giving him the ball kind of not quite in like jet sweep type of type of runs, but but similar to it. Yeah, not the, like not a little the end around. Yeah, not the thing. size of a guy that you would expect to get those. So I imagine you know all of a sudden you're playing defense and you see a guy that size coming at you with the ball. It's probably <laughs> a little it's bit relatively of a unpleasant, yeah, especially yeah. if you're only about a, a buck sixty. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've got uh, they've got Winnicott coming up Saturday night. Merrimack uh, is playing its uh, semi annual, semi annual, or maybe biannual. That's the right word. Uh, homecoming game at Keene. It feels like I feel like every year that Merrimack has to go to Keene, uh, it's a Saturday afternoon game for Keene's homecoming. Uh, I mm. maybe I'm crazy. Uh, I don't know, but when I mentioned that to to Kip Jackson, uh, Merrimack coach, he, uh, he he kind of agreed with me, not in, in not so many words, but you know. Um, yeah, I know they were there. Like. They were there last year around this time. Were they? I it, it's just yeah. uh, that's weird. I feel like every like every couple of years, I'm like, oh, Keen Merrimack, that might be a. Oh wait, no, it's a Keen. Okay, hey, it's Saturday afternoon. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah, right. right. Um. Yeah, so that that'll be a big game for both those teams. Um, you know, still trying to keep uh, keep some playoff hopes alive there. Uh, but speaking of uh, speaking of some playoff hope, or any any other thoughts on that game before we move on? I I I, I just want to say you had mentioned the the BG Winnicott game coming up. I I just wanted to mention. I know we don't have a ton of details on the game. Uh, I I can't claim to have seen it, but I I thought that it was. Pretty fascinating that that Exeter Winnicott game was a three nothing well, we Exeter victory. You know, that kind of came uh, late in the game. We don't have a lot of details because it sounds like there wasn't a whole lot of details to to give there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there were, unless unless you really like defense, which I, I actually do like defense, <laughs> but 
Um, but that's that's a little extreme. But I guess the only comment I would make on that is I know that Winnicunit is young, um, but that's a pretty big deal, right? I mean, you and I were singing Exeter's praises just last week. And yeah. Winnicunit, in the years that they've been really successful, their foundation to me always seems to have been built on a really, really good run defense. And if they found a little something there, and, and clearly they have, you know, you don't hold Exeter to three points because you got lucky. If they found a little something there, that could be the start of something interesting for Winnicunit. Yeah, it was a, uh, a 27-yard field goal with 250 left uh, by Ethan Moss um, to, to account for the only points. And um, what's even more interesting is that the Warriors got the ball back uh, with about 30 seconds to play, had a first down at Exeter's 27. Um, and uh, according to uh, the account here uh, in the Portsmouth Herald, uh, they actually had a... a, a a chance at scoring, but ended up fumbling um, near the twelve yard line, and Exeter recovered at the two to end yeah. to end the game. So wow. yeah, just a, a, a remarkable finish, and and you know it's like what we said I think last week about these rivalry games is, you know, funny things happen uh, in those games, and uh, I guess I guess the one uh, to look at next is the other Seacoast rivalry between. Spalding and Dover, um, which is the uh, the oldest high school football rivalry in the state, dating back to 1906. Um, but but did you know that, Mike? That that game has been going on for what a hundred and what is that, 16 years? I think I was there for the first game. <laughs> <laughs> At least I feel like I uh, might have been. <laughs> I did not know that it was that old. I have heard it referred to as the state's oldest rivalry. I I think there might actually even be a Wikipedia page for the rivalry. Or it's it's mentioned on Wikipedia, something like that. Um, Yeah, that one started out with a field goal, too, that Dover went up 3-0, and Spalding comes back with 30 straight points, takes a 30-3 lead, hangs on for a 36-23 win. And, uh, you know, don't look now, but uh, not only is Spalding... Four and zero overall, three and zero in the division. But if uh, if again, let's talk some playoffs. If the playoffs started today, the number two seed in Division One would be the Spalding Red Raiders. Yeah, and you know, you, you you we were look we were talking a little bit about this before we went on, and you know, it, it Spalding hasn't beaten Bishop Curtin or Londonderry or Concord, right? But they had two relatively quality wins in a row these last two weeks with Dover and, and Portsmouth, right? I mean, Dover was 3-0. and I mean, certain, one, well, of those, yeah. one of those wins was against Samford, but still, Dover was undefeated. Yeah. Um, and and won fairly convincingly against Dover. I mean, it was a, you know, I think it was a, what was it, 36-23. Yeah. So it, it wasn't was, like they blew them out, but I mean, that's a that's kind of a no-doubter. It was 30-3 thir- um, at one point. Right, right. And then you look at the schedule ahead for Spalding. You know they have an opportunity to to do really well in the second half of the season. They they have uh, you know again as you were saying, Joe, they have Memorial next week, which I think is a greatly improved football team. But uh, you know certainly the way Spalding has been playing, that's a game that you know you could imagine might go Spalding's way. Uh, they have Merrimack. Timber.
Timber Lane, which those will be challenging games, Exeter and Winnicunit. So they have the they definitely have the opportunity to prove themselves absolutely through the second half of the season, right? It's it's a it's a schedule that I say would say kind of gets harder as the weeks go on. Yeah, they they get a memorial team too. That's that's been uh, a tough luck loser the last couple of weeks, losing in overtime to Dover and Portsmouth the last two weeks. Yeah. So um, yeah. Yeah, like I, I, said, I I I think they're I think Memorial is a better team than that record indicates yeah, by far. Absolutely. And this will be a pretty cool game this week, actually. I, yeah, I I think so. I think it'll be yeah. I think that will be a very competitive one um, at Memorial. Um, you know, and then uh, of course I I just closed it, uh, <laughs> and then you've got um, you know Dover taking on Portsmouth. Uh, the the one to kind of kind of watch within that that East Conference there though, you've got Exeter going to Timberlane uh, Friday night. That's one to keep an eye on for sure. And then um, you know another one uh, in the um, in the East Conference, you've got Salem and Pinkerton, which. Um, you know Pinkerton looking to bounce back for Salem. I, I gotta, you know, I gotta think this. This is maybe their last gasp at, at keeping any kind of playoff hopes alive. Um, you know they're they're one in three right now. Um, they have lost the three very good teams um, the last couple weeks in in Bedford, Exeter, Wyndham. Uh, but then you look ahead at the rest of the schedule too. They still have Concord and Londonderry left to go. So it's yeah. uh, it's it's going to be a tough run for them here. Um, if they're they're not winning this game against Pinkerton, but that's a you know tough task to say too that you've got a must win game going into into Pinkerton um, this week after they yeah, after they lose know, the, to Londonderry. Right, exactly. Right, you you know, I mean, Pinkerton's not prone to losing games, let alone two games in a row. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Pinkerton recovers from you know a a, a pretty decisive loss to their. You know their their most heated rivalry team. You know in, in Londonderry, right? <laughs> right? Can they can they pick that up and move forward, or is there a bit of a hangover there that's going to affect them? Uh, I, I would suspect with the the caliber of coaching staff that that is at Pickerton Academy, uh, you're probably not going to get much of a of a of a you know hangover or lag there. Um, but still, I, I think this might be a little bit more of a competitive game than. The, the two records might indicate, you know, I think, I think um, Salem has been in a couple tough ones and they've been battle tested. I do think that they have some athletes on that team um, with some good speed and uh, you know, Pinkerton again, I think has a great set of skill position players. And, you know, I said earlier, oh, their offensive line seemed to struggle a little bit. And I think that's just a fact, but by the way, they struggled against a really, really good Londonderry front. Um, I don't know that they're going to, you know, I, I don't know that they're going to find it as difficult um, to run against uh, you know a, a younger Salem team, but I do think that this might be a closer game than people would otherwise think. I think I think Salem's got some. I still think Salem has some tricks up their sleeve, and, especially if they are fighting for their lives. Yeah, and they've been competitive too. Um, you know, despite some of those scores, I know that the that Exeter game. I think they lost by by twenty, but that game was a competitive one uh, into the second half. Um, but yeah, so I, I agree with you there. I think that game has the potential to be a, a pretty good one. Um, all right. How about, uh, you want to talk some, uh, D2 football here? 
Let's go to D2. All right. And, uh, you know, the way it's kind of shaping up here, um, I think we mentioned this briefly last week, but maybe a little more in-depth. Um, you know, I think we, we said at the beginning of the year that we thought the West might have might be a little more top-heavy with some of the better teams in the division, but that the East might have a little bit more depth. And, and hey, you know, I think we might have got one right here. <laughs> you yeah. Know, you look at the West and you've got Pelham Hanover and Sauhegan all at 4-0, and and no one else in the in that conference has more than one win. Um, and then you look at the other side, you've got Guilford Belmont at 4-0, and uh, Bo, St. Thomas, and Plymouth all at 3-1, and one. Kennett and Merrimack Valley at 2-2, two and two. and then as we were saying, even Sanborn, um, you know, at 1-3, and three, I think still has, you know, a very outside chance of, of maybe making it in, uh, depending on what if they're able to go on a run, and then even on the other side, you know, I, I would look at a team like, um, you know, like Milford, or a team like West, um, you know, that's that's had a tough open to the season, um, you know, but could go on a run late here, and uh, and give themselves a shot at maybe you know six and three, five and four, uh, getting into the playoffs, and hey, wouldn't you know, uh, Milford plays at West Friday night, so perhaps the winner of that game keeps their season alive. The loser, maybe not. Yeah, it, it's it's almost unthinkable that after the, you know, the the really fantastic season that Milford had last year. You know, really, really highlighted by those two playoff wins consecutively against Plymouth, and then uh, at the time undefeated Lebanon at Lebanon, by the way, you know, would have a a, a one and three start. But again, those losses were all to really good teams: Sauhegan, Hanover, and Bow. And if you look ahead, they do have the opportunity to run the table. I know that they still have a very, very good Pelham team. Um, you know, to, to overcome, I think that's in two or three weeks, three weeks, but otherwise, you know, they're, they're in on paper anyway, again, you know, which means nothing of course, but we don't have anything else to go off of. So on paper, (laughs) they have, they have the chance to, to, you know, end up with sort of like a, you know, a a six and three record and maybe an outside shot, um, which would be pretty unusual for, for the start that they've had. But, uh, but will be will be kind of fun to keep an eye on. Yeah, it doesn't happen often that you you do that have that kind of start and and then are able to get your make your way into the playoffs. Um, so right. I I was actually at a Division two game this past weekend on Saturday. Made my way up to uh, Merrimack Valley. Um, haven't been up there in a long long time, and I think the last time I was there it was not for a football game. Um, so I, that might have actually been the first football game I've seen at Merrimack Valley. Um, not a bad place to, to, you know, to watch the game. Um, I love their facilities, like the way it's laid out feels like a small kind of athletic campus type of setup. You know, you've got the the different fields there, the nice press box, uh, kind of in the middle of them, um, track off to one side. Uh, yeah, so it's a nice, nice little setup there. And they, of course, were taking on John Stark. Um, you know, I came away you know, I went in without really any expectations. Like, I just was curious to kind of see both of these teams because they're both teams that I haven't seen in a long time. Um, and I came away impressed with both. Um, you know, John Stark was running kind of a uh, almost like a hurry-up single-wing type of offense. Um, yep. 
to the so much hurry up to the point that that first opening drive that they scored on, I missed getting video of the touchdown because I was scrambling trying to keep up with what was going on. Um, so apologies for uh, for missing out on that that touchdown there. It was uh, Joey Dykstra that had the the opening touchdown for for the Generals, gave them a six nothing lead, and then from there, you know Merrimack Valley Merrimack Valley's defense kind of kind of took over a little bit. You know they. Um, you know, they only allowed John Stark across midfield, I think, one one or two more times in the first half and none at all in the second half. Really dominated field position there. And uh, they've got a quarterback um, that I think we've talked about a little bit uh, by the name of uh, Buddy Eady, who is a sophomore. Um, but he just looks like he's playing with a ton of confidence right now. Um, you know, had some success running the ball. He threw a touchdown pass to uh, uh, Matt Sanborn, for Merrimack Valley that I had so much zip on it, I thought it was going to get stuck in Sanborn's shoulder pads, like as it hit him. Um, it was just, it was a bullet. I don't know if the video I got shows it well enough, but he just, you know, fired that thing. Like, I, I it was unbelievable that, that it was caught. Um, yeah, so it was, um, it, it was a, an entertaining game to watch. It, it kind of slogged down a little bit there in the fourth quarter is that, you know, it was 26 at that point, and, and neither team was really moving the ball a ton, just kind of trading punts at that point. Um, you know, but, but um, yeah, I think, you know, Stark certainly headed, I think, in the right direction. Uh, you know, I know they hit some rough times a couple years ago, um, and Ray Kershaw has done, I think, a decent job of, of building that program back up. Their numbers are, are getting back up there. They don't have a ton of seniors. Um, I don't think they had any actually playing on Saturday. They were the ones they do have on the roster were hurt. Uh, yeah. So a lot. I, of freshmen, I had heard that too. Or, excuse me. A lot of sophomores, a lot of juniors, um, and then of course uh, Joe Raycraft there at Merrimack Valley has has kind of has them back in uh, in a spot where they they look like they can contend for a playoff spot. Yeah, you know, I I, I was I was happy that you got a chance to cover this game because. Honestly, this game was interesting to me, and, and and maybe for a different angle than you know the the obvious like oh the Pickerton Londonderry game was interesting to me or you know <laughs> yeah. this one was really interesting to me because I I think it was two it was a it was a matchup of two teams that are kind of on the same slope, meaning you know had struggled in in recent years and are on that that slow but sure improvement curve. Um, and so I, I, you know, despite what their current records are, right, that, that's not really what was important to me, whether it was, you know, Owen, I think that, I think, uh, John Stark came in at Owen three and, um, right. Valley came in at, at one and two or something like that. Right. And, and, uh, you know, but it, it was not so much that, but just as to say, I think these are both teams that have struggled in, in recent history, but are, are both slowly, but surely coming up out of that, you know, that the, the signs are all positive, I think. I mean, I, I played for Coach Joe Raycraft when I was a player at Merrimack. I coached with him for three or four years. And so you knew when that announcement got made that that was going to be a well-coached team. The question would be, could they could they quickly get out, you know, athletes and um, have a good off-season program, and could they get those blocks together in place? Um, you know, and it's funny, looking at the account that you had of the game, some of the quotes from Coach Raycraft, you know, it was very clear to me that they did exactly what I would have expected coach to do, which is, you know, they got bit a little bit last year by that style of offense that Stark plays. 
and you know coach Raycraft said hey they may beat us one way or another but they are not going to beat us because we were unprepared for that style of play right. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded to me reading between the lines that they spent a lot of effort and yeah. practice this week getting those kids ready for you know what can be some you know that style of offense in itself is very difficult and then when you when you go sort of high tempo with it it can be crushing if you're not prepared for it so hey i, I would imagine they had to spend a, a you know a, a tremendous amount of practice time and capital this week getting ready for that but i wasn't prepared for but, it either and I, it took me some time to get ready get used to where yeah, I was shooting right. and who i was recording and what what was going on there yeah, but I think I think the other thing, you know, and you you alluded to it just a, a minute or so ago, is that Coach Coach Kershaw could be really happy too because, you know, you, you you've, yeah, have you know, have you won a game yet? No, you haven't. And and I know that that is a measuring stick that that everybody looks at, but the fact of the matter is, you know, they've really had to kind of build something from absolute scratch there, um, and I think they've put a system in that's unique to that team and it, it works for those kids. I think that uh, it, it seems to me like they're bought in on it. And it seems to me like, you know, if you can go out and still have a, a pretty competitive game against a, a, what I think is a, is a good Merrimack Valley team um, with no seniors on the field. Uh, that's, you it's know, like starting over at a new <laughs> again, you'd rather yeah. have won the game, I'm sure, right. but that's a pretty big deal. It's something that, you've got to pick your spots to be proud of. You've got to pick your spots to say, Hey, you know, we're, we're, we're building. And this is a major, major stepping stone. Um, I, I, I think that they, I think that both of those programs have some things to be proud of. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it, bottom line was just, it was a competitive game, um, you know, pretty much throughout. And, um, and, and I, I mean, I think that's you know in some instances that's what you kind of are looking for, um, you know even more so sometimes than than a win. Yeah, well, I mean, I hope you don't mind me sharing with the listeners, but I I think I had texted you when you had shot me a note and said, "Hey, I'm going over here today." I had texted you and said, "Good football," you know, in other words, meaning is it a good clean game, you know, fun game. Because uh, sometimes I text you that and you're like, nope, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> you're very honest with me. And you were like, and and you answered back, yeah, yeah, it's a good game. I mean, it's it a was, well-played game. You know, in, in terms of, of, you know, if you're, you're just looking at penalties, um, you know, you had a couple of like five yarders for both sides. Um, uh, Merrimack Valley had a, did have a face mask on, the, on that opening drive, but it was inside the, the six. So it was only a three yard penalty. Um, they did pick up a couple of uh, fifteen yarders in the second half, but I don't. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I don't remember what the circumstances were for those. Uh, but I mean, Stark had two penalty, or excuse me, one penalty for five yards the entire game. Uh, yeah, another sign was, of a well-coached team yeah. that's coming along. And the the thing I didn't think about either was I I did a little bit of, of research there before writing that story today was that that's the first time that Merrimack Valley's beaten Stark since 2010. Um, yeah. granted they've, they only played four times in between, um, but three of the, or excuse, three of the last four years, Stark had, had beaten Merrimack Valley. Yeah, I, I saw that too. I had no idea that that was true. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, we've had a couple of those little interesting history points, uh, that we've mentioned about different games and teams this week, but, you know, looking at Stark's schedule ahead too, they've got some opportunities, you know, again, they've got uh, Hollis Brookline coming up at Hollis, 
this week, which, you know, Hollis is in a down year. They, they've, they've got lower numbers. They don't have a lot of upperclassmen. Um, then they, then they go to Hillsborough during Hopkinton or no, I'm sorry. They host Hillsborough during Hopkinton, which I think is a very similar team to Hollis in that they're, they're a little bit uh, short on numbers this season, you know, again, sort of, they, they, they were up for a few years, you know, struggling a little bit now, I think, again, mainly just due to numbers and, and, uh, you know, their, their upperclassmen demographics, so to speak. Then they've got Sanborn, Lebanon, and end with powerhouse Sauhegan. But there's four games in a row on that schedule that, that should all be pretty good matchups for them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned talking about some history, and uh, we, can't, we can't move on to uh, finish up with D2 without mentioning the, uh, the matchup that's taking place Saturday afternoon in Plymouth. With uh, with Sauhegan going up to take on the Bobcats, um, I, I mean, when you think of of um, I guess D two D three smaller school football in New Hampshire, um, are there ma- are there many more matchups other than Sauhegan Plymouth that kind of really invoke some some images of uh, of of past uh, battles and and championships and I mean, it was just two years ago that these two teams played in in the championship game in D2, um, and, and I would expect this one to be uh, a, a pretty um, pretty kind of classic matchup between two really good teams. Yeah, no, you know, it's funny. Uh, the, I never experienced the, the, the Plymouth-Sauhegan rivalry when I was, at, uh, when I was the head coach at Sauhegan. It, um, it was just the, the realignment uh, phase that we were at when I had taken over there had Plymouth playing a division lower than Sauhegan was. Right. And so we never had the opportunity to face each other. And I, it's, it's one of the, it's one of the few regrets that I have in my time at Sauhegan is that I never got to experience that. But, you know, we, we talk about the rivalry between Sauhegan and Milford as being kind of like the big rivalry game and stuff. But I, I honestly think the fact of the matter is that a lot of, a lot of people might say, yeah, that's true. But the real, like sort of meaty historical rivalry is Sauhegan Plymouth, <laughs> you know, what, what, because that was played out, like you said, at the championship yeah, game yeah. level, almost on Playoffs, an annual basis. Yeah, well, I mean, for... that's that's what what forms rivalries. I mean, you know, it's it's proximity, which Milford and Sauhegan have, uh, and it's it's familiarity, which when you you're playing a team every year in the playoffs. Uh, you get to know them pretty well, and uh, yeah. sometimes you don't like them, especially if they, uh, you know, they keep ending your season. Um, yeah, you know, so yeah, definitely. And, and this isn't the case of, you know, that's old history, and the you know the coaches are all different and all that kind of stuff. Because even though that's true, there's still there's still some there's still some connection there, right? Coach Sanborn from Plymouth was uh, a longtime member of Coach Lenahan's staff. Um, so I, I, I'm assuming, although I'm not 100 percent sure, that that he might have been part of those those teams back then, uh, in sort of like the early 2000s. Yeah, I believe so. And if you know, else, uh, coach, more later, more of the the more recent ones. Yeah, I think you, you were just going to yeah. say. Yeah, and 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 Coach Boquette is obviously a Sauhegan graduate, um, played quarterback and defensive back on some really good teams there, um, in the late 90s, if I'm not mistaken. I don't mean to age coach Bawcat here, but, <laughs> well, I mean, you, <laughs> but, but you put I think that's yourself, public knowledge. So <laughs> you put yourself at like 120 there. So, I mean, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, Hey, 
if I beat myself up, I, I should be able to beat others up. Is that the idea? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, all all indications would be that's going to be a, a, a great matchup. I mean, we've been we haven't really talked a lot about Sauhegan this season, and but I think I, th- I think the consensus is pretty clear, right? I mean, massive amount of talent on both sides of the ball. Their quarterback, Romy Jane, is maybe one of the best in the state as a sophomore. Oh yeah, without question. Uh, he's got a lot of talented targets to go to, and then, uh, and then, and then Plymouth is sort of, uh, you know, maybe not as decisively classic Plymouth as they have been, but still formidable. And you know, as we said this this week and last week, anything can happen in these rivalry games. Um, and, and so that's one to definitely keep your eye on. And I, I've been trying to do some uh, some quick research here while while you've been you've been talking. Uh, I think this might be the first regular season meeting between the two programs. I, I don't know, maybe since like the mid two thousands. You know, you might be right because they have met, but they've it's met been playoff games, playoffs as yeah. they've as they've been seeded and and uh, drawn each other at various phases of the playoffs, whether it was semifinals or finals, you know, they, they've definitely met three or four times since coach Bockett has had the reins, but you're right. I don't think that they've met in the regular season. I don't. Yeah. Cause I think in, I want to say in 2007 Plymouth moved down to division four, the old division four. Um, I'm sorry. They, they played in uh Oh yes. I remember that. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, so this might be the last regular season game between the two since 2007, which um, Plymouth won 11 to nine at Sauhegan. And I, if I'm remembering this correctly, this was the drop kick game, the famous free kick, free game. Ki- yes, uh, or free kick. Yep. I'm sorry, yeah, I don't want to, yeah, where the fair catch yep. kick, um, yep, where where Plymouth ended the game by signaling for a fair catch on a punt. If and you I, get a free. You can you elect get, to take yeah. a free kick. They took a free kick. They, I don't remember what the distance was, and they won the game on that kick. Yep. And then they turned around and won the championship game that year, thirty-four to nothing. Yep. Um, so yeah, I think that was the last time that these two teams played in the regular season. Interesting history. Yeah. <laughs> and I no, I mean that. And and even going back to you know we were talking about some of those battles and stuff. There was a point where it was even a battle for who had the best player in the state sometimes, right? right? It was yeah. Sauhegan had four years of uh, Sean Jellison, and Plymouth had four years of, um, was it Mike Boyle? Was that his first I think name? That, I think that's right, Mike Boyle, yeah. Right, who, who by the way, they both went on to have great careers at, at UNH yeah, yeah. Um, as teammates. But, you know, for, for a time, it was not just the battle of the two best teams in the division, but it was also sort of a battle about who has the, maybe the two best players in the state uh, pretty cool rivalry oh absolutely all right well uh let's uh let's move on to uh to d3 uh we did we've mentioned a little bit already the the big game of the week there uh campbell and trinity um that one friday night at, at Derryfield park in manchester um you know i think maybe the other game to keep an eye on um in the division um you know it's it's been it's shaping up kind of to be really interesting in terms of, of just who's going to have a shot, um, you know, at, at getting that last playoff spot. I mean, it, I, you got to figure at this point, you've got Campbell and Trinity both at 4-0. and uh, One of them is going to be 5-0, and the other one 4-1. and 
they're going to be in pretty good position to get in. Um, you know, Monadnock at three and one. You got Fall Mountain at three and one. Uh, Monadnock has the tiebreaker between the two. Um, you know, they they've both got maybe the inside track there. And I guess the the next two teams I'd look at at at, at having the best shot. Um, you know, you've got Kearsarge at two and two, and Interlakes Moultonboro, even though they're at one and three. Uh, they're coming off a three-game stretch where they played Trinity, Monadnock, and Campbell back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Um, right. You know, they lose to Trinity 35 nothing, but they play Monadnock to 22-20 and Campbell 32-14. Um, you know, and then they've got Kearsarge this week, so I think the winner of that game might have the best shot at, at maybe challenging Fall Mountain for that uh, that fourth playoff spot. Yeah, and then, and then of course, Interlakes... Moultonboro and Fall Mountain have yet to play each other. Right, right. So that ends up being a, what is it, week six or seven, I think, matchup um, at Interlakes Moultonboro. Yeah, week seven. Uh, it's a Saturday afternoon game. Yep, there it is. Yeah, and, and you know, it's it's interesting talking about the, uh, the Campbell-Trinity matchup. You know, I think we talked a lot about Trinity at the beginning of the of the show. Um, just because I had selected them as the team of the week. But, you know, what, what's also not lost uh, on either of us, because we talked about it before we got started, <laughs> was the performance that um, Scott Hirschberger had against Interlakes Moultonboro uh, this past weekend. Yeah. Uh, you know, tallying up 290 on the ground on 20 carries and two touchdowns. Beast of a performance. You know, it kind of goes back to some of these other uh, Campbell backs that, that have, you know, kind of dominated over the last five or six years. Uh, unfortunately, the names of the guys escape me right now, but you'd know who I'm, you, you probably know who I'm talking about, but <laughs> I can picture the kid in my head. I can't uh, remember his name, yes, but uh, Keegan Mills, uh, Mills, Ryan Yaniskevich. Um, I yeah, that's how you say his name. I'm sorry if it's not, uh, but yeah, those two helped them win uh, that championship game over, over Monadnock a few years ago. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I mean, kind of classic and running in that same offense, that single wing offense. Um, yeah, exactly. They they always seem to get another guy that they sort of groom and can cut loose in that offense. And uh, you know, if, if if this was Scott Hershberger's coming out party, uh, you know, kind of sets up an interesting test for this week. Absolutely, for Trinity. Yeah. Um, you know, and then um, you know, I think Division Four. Um, you know, we had talked. I th- think that first or maybe maybe it was even last week now that I think about it because they're only they're they're three games into their season uh a week you know a week behind everybody uh because there's only seven games in the division um seven weeks of play uh you know and and we're it's looking like I think we might have talked about and you got Newport three and oh Summersworth three and oh and um they play each other this week at Summersworth on Friday night uh winner of that game that's a big one yeah, I'd say has the inside track at the number one seed. I don't think anyone would would argue with that. Um, you know, and then the two teams sitting right behind them, uh, Bishop Brady at two and one, and then you got Raymond at two and one. Uh, they've already played each other with with Brady getting a five point win, eighteen thirteen, um, two weeks ago. You know, yeah. and then I look at, at at that first week for Brady too, where they they lost to Winnesquam, uh twenty to thirteen. Um, and here's where you know I guess this is kind of the the fun uh, fun thing about teams all playing each other. You had that result. Bishop Brady beats Raymond, and then Raymond last week turns around and beats Winnesquam forty-two to six. Yeah. 
Right. I saw that. <laughs> so what exactly so, does that mean? <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it could mean everything. It might mean nothing. <laughs> and and, and uh, what I mean by that is, you know, I think, I think the, the, one of the more, I, I, you know, it, it sounds like it's a really weird adjective to use for what I'm about to say, but just bear with me because, I'm, I'm, like you said, I'm still jet-lagged, right? <laughs> but well, I think one of the more fun things about Division Four is that I think because depth is so crucial and keeping the teams healthy is so crucial because of that thin depth that you have, that that anything can happen week to week, right? Like, if 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 uh, you know if one of these teams has not been able to stay healthy and they have one or two key players that are dinged up and aren't able to play, a team that otherwise they might beat at full strength on paper comes in and plays. You know, right, like yeah. that underdog team, That's they could a get a, a you know they could get a pretty significant win, especially on a a seven game schedule here, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot of room for error. And so it is one of the things I think that makes Division Four kind of uniquely interesting is that it becomes much more of a game of, you know, how well have you been able to manage your your roster, your injuries, your depth, and those type of things. And and sometimes you see these weird little developments like what you just said, like what does that mean? Uh, it might not mean anything other than maybe somebody was banged up, or it might also mean hey, you know, maybe maybe somebody's come along and made some major improvements, you know, found an identity, whatever it might be. Because, yeah, I was looking at the same thing and thinking, huh, <laughs> somebody beat somebody who then went and beat that other somebody. It's it's uh, it's tough to track. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, of course, that Newport-Summersworth game is the big one uh, in the division this week, but there's also a big rivalry game going on, too, where you've got Winnesquam going to Franklin uh, for a uh, Saturday night game. Uh, at Franklin, uh, of course, those two schools very. And you want to talk about close proximity to each other? Franklin and and, and Winnesquam are uh, right, I think, almost down the road from each other, uh, up there. And uh, that's yeah, and a good point. opportunity for both yeah. teams, right? Both have kind of had a slow start to their the beginning of this their seasons, and uh, you know, to to come into literally mid season, right? This is the this is the midpoint for Division Four uh, with a with a with a really fun rivalry game like this, get a chance to get a leg up on the other is, uh, is, is, is a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, any other uh, thoughts before we uh, wrap up for the week? No, I think it was a pretty, I think it was a pretty cool weekend of football and, and uh, you know, we've been, or I, I have at least been rambling the last few weeks about how much the, you know, by the time you get to mid season, you, you start to get pieces of the puzzle together and things like that. So, you know what I'm most looking forward to, Joe, is is our, uh, you know, our way too early looks, as you like to say, in some of your articles on on the website uh, oh, it's, at, it's at playoff developments and things like that. You know, so it is coming. You know, I know everybody loves it when we speculate about things that we have no no idea about, and I'm looking forward <laughs> to doing that. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this Friday, the uh, the first playoff picture of the season will be up. Uh, it's going to be a fun one. Because division uh, division one with that thirteen teams now in the playoffs uh, is um, it's just wild. Uh, when you yeah. when you want to say that nobody's out of it yet, you're not far off. Um, you know, thirteen thirteen out of twenty one teams is a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, we'll 
we'll we'll figure it out soon enough whether we think it's it's too much or not. Absolutely, you know, yeah, I think, yeah. yeah, I think that'll be one of the entertaining things going into the back half here is talking about not just what's going on, but you know, as fans and people who who love New Hampshire football, you know, how do we feel about that? Right? Is it is it cool? Is it is it fun to have that much sort of up in the air? Anything could happen, or is it kind of like ah, uh, you know, are there maybe some maybe some things that are just it's too watered down you know so yeah. I, I think i'm looking forward to looking forward to making that judgment <laughs> <laughs> excellent yeah excellent way to put it uh yeah all right. well i think that's going to wrap us up for this week uh he is mike lockman mike thanks again for joining me yep good time as always joe i am joe marcellina thanks again for listening we will talk to you next week and enjoy the games